You're listening to DraftKings Network. to a jam-packed episode of Rule of Two. My name is Darth Amin. I'm joined by my apprentice, Darth Cornpuzzle, a.k.a. Anthony Mays. And Mays, March came in with a bang as we got not only an episode of the Bad Batch Review, but also the return of The Mandalorian as Season 3, Episode 1 dropped as well. I am gushing Star Wars out of all of my pores and must say a couple interesting episodes that tie into a lot of shit. Yeah, I had a feeling you would like this Bad Batch episode more than the previous ones. And then the Mandalorian episode felt good to get back in the best car. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. We had a lot to reestablish here and it wasn't necessarily the most event filled episode but we set up the season arcs and there's lots to get to set up season arcs and we start tying into some other stuff that's happening or has happened in and around that sector of the universe but let's start with bad batch episode 11 metamorphosis we start with one of the clone commandos those are those clones that have those glow-in-the-dark visors white and gray uniforms he's running around he's being hunted by something some creature very horror movie vibes alien they seem to be paying a lot of homages all throughout this season to different movies yes every single episode has a different reference point here alien was definitely the homage or the reference point for this episode for the first half and then it becomes a kaiju godzilla movie Yes. We see Lambda shuttles flying into the planet with Mount Tantus. This is where they took the Kaminoan scientist Nala Say at the end of season one, where I believe this massive cloning operation is happening for the Empire. Again, one of the big directives, it seems, by Disney and Lucasfilm is that all of these spin-off Star Wars shows and animations somehow provide supporting evidence and structure for the abysmal end to the sequel trilogy, which is somehow Palpatine came back and he was cloned. So now everything we do in all these shows is trying to build us the backstory for all of that so it makes a little bit more sense than it did at the time. Lambda shuttles come in and we get a mysterious doctor with one gloved hand. Mm. The doctor is Dr. Hemlock. And Maze, do you know who does the voice of Dr. Hemlock? I was pretty delighted to discover this. Oh, man. This is straight out of Cinephobe. When you learn, ah, it's none other than McPoyle from Always Sunny. Yes, Jimmy Simpson. Also, you might recognize him as young Ed Harris on Westworld. 
perfectly creepy voice for this character. But he's always going to be a McPoyle to me, walking around in a bathrobe drinking milk. I really liked when Dr. Royce Hemlock took time out of his busy schedule to have a glass of milk. So he goes and we see Nala say, the Kaminoan scientist, she's in a prison cell in Mount Tantus. So he goes and he has some exposition conversation with her. Let's her know her research remains intact, and it now serves a higher purpose, the emperor's purpose. And he wants her to just stop being a prisoner and just get with the program and help me out with this thing. But, of course, she refuses because the emperor and the empire are responsible for the genocide of the Kaminoan people, the destruction of all the cities and facilities on Kamino. Basically, he says, well... We're going to get you to do it one way or another. What if we bring your prime minister here? Who's the only other Kaminoan that was evacuated from Kamino before it was destroyed? Yes. So that mean that it's just the two of them left? Or is there a colony somewhere? No, isn't there a senator? I thought that was the prime minister. No, that's not because the prime minister is a dude. Oh, okay. The senator was a woman. You could tell the Kaminoan males and the females, the males have that little ridge on top of their head. Oh, that's right. The senator is Halle Berry Bertoni. We cut to the Bad Bats. They're giving Sid shit for abandoning them. Sid's like, oh, but you got your shit back. Basically, everything worked out great. She has another job for them. They say it's the last job. She says, all right, and I'll give you guys a 70-30 split, 70 my way. She's the Stugats of Star Wars. They hold out until they get to the 50-50 split, and this is, as I said, going to be the last job. After they get off the phone with her, they have to salvage the cargo off some wreck. They start talking about severing ties with her altogether. Tech kind of advises that maybe they do it in a more diplomatic fashion because she knows who they are. Remember, official Empire stances that the Bad Batch died on Kamino, but obviously Sid knows the truth and Sid could double-cross them, which is what Tech is kind of warning against. So they go, they find the crash ship, and they board it, and this is where we start the movie Alien. Mm-hmm. As the power is out and there's all sorts of flickering lights and stuff and weird sound and the music is dark and ominous. What happened here? They find the electro staff of one of the clone commandos. How did that happen? Why is it so cold in here? It's some kind of lab. Omega recognizes that this medical equipment is Kaminoan. It's like the cloning devices from Topoka City, but different. Keep walking, keep searching, find... This wrecked droid just saying, danger, 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 Danger Will Robinson. Robinson. There it is. Same note too, bro. Finally, we see a glimpse of the creature crawling around the rafters, eating one of those electro staffs and kind of munching on it. Hunter says, back away slowly. And we see, Mace, it is a Zillow beast. So it's really good at helping you find a house online? Either that or just taking up entirely too much time and energy and being very destructive. Mm. Zillow Beasts were introduced in the Clone Wars during a battle where they set off kind of an electro bomb that electrocuted all the droids, but it woke up this hibernating beast from beneath that was impervious to blaster bolts and indeed even lightsaber attacks and it fed on energy so they end up taking the zillow beast back to coruscant to be examined by top men and then it goes nuts and then they eventually have to kill it 
But at the end of that episode arc, Supreme Chancellor Palpatine says, you know what? Let's do some more tests on this carcass. See if we can learn some stuff. Mm. Because... As you might imagine, if you were planning on killing all the Jedi, it might be nice to have some sort of armor that is lightsaber proof. So, it drops down, it eats the second Electro Staff that Wrecker tries to stab it with. They shoot at it, it doesn't really harm it, but it runs away. And then later on, we see it eating more electricity and energy. Tech blows a hole, it escapes the ship and runs off to the village. They say, uh, you know, it's kind of our responsibility to get this thing under wraps since we set it free. And Tech, this is might be my favorite part of the episode. Tech says, yeah, we should stop it, but maybe because it ate the crew, it won't be hungry and it won't mess with all the townsfolk. Mm. And Omega, just like saying it in front of a kid, freaks out. It ate the crew? <laughs> it ate the crew. <laughs> this throws her off, so Omega and Tech go back onto the ship to continue searching for clues and stuff. Meanwhile, Wrecker and Hunter go after the Zillow Beast. Meanwhile, the Zillow Beast feeds on energy, gets bigger. It goes through its Pokemon evolution here. Yeah. This is the metamorphosis from the title of the episode. Tech confirms that this was the same species and creature that attacked Coruscant during the war. The Imperials show up in some Venator-class ships. We get the V-Wings, which are the predecessor to the TIE Fighters. Fly out along with cargo carrying gunships or personnel gunships. It seems like a lot of them are dedicated to trying to kill the Bad Batch. Mm -hmm. And only a couple are there to stave off the Zillow Beast. They chase around. They use a capital ship blaster, I believe, to subdue the Zillow Beast. That's when Wrecker remarks they're not killing it. They're taking it as they suck it up onto the ship. Meanwhile, clone commandos land in the village. I thought for sure they were just going to massacre everybody, but they didn't. They were just arresting everybody. Not yet. To massacre somewhere else, yeah. Meanwhile, the creature is put in what looks like a huge back-to-tank. But it's probably not back-to- It's probably something to keep it immobilized, right? Yes. We finally get some exposition from Tech about Zillow Beast cloning and that Palpatine gave his order when he was Supreme Chancellor, way before the Empire and he was Emperor. Hunter looks very concerned. He says, send this data to Echo and Rex. Meanwhile, Prime Minister has brought to Mount Tantus Lama Su. Dr. Hemlock basically says, I need you to talk some sense into Nala Say to helping us out. And Lama Su, in a very smug way, says, must be frustrating to have your resources but lack the expertise to achieve your goals. Mm. That was a real son of a bitch move. Cuts a deal with Hemlock that if you give me my freedom, I will help you crack old Nala say and Hemlock says how do you do that and he says you gotta get the female clone you gotta get Omega she's the key to controlling Nala say ooh cliffhanger yes and also a clone commando says that a military vessel escaped so now Hemlock is gonna be chasing the bad badge he steps into the rampart role he's got two reasons to go get them and we also have the ongoing research towards Palpatine cloning development. Look, if you're going to screw up a story, you might as well try to fix it up, right? This is what they're doing. They're painting walls or changing out appliances. Yeah, you backfill the exposition required to justify the decision you made 10 years ago. Yes. And as I said, Mason, as you pointed out, I really enjoyed this episode. I like it because it has greater meaning. And because it looks like it's the end of the oh, well, bastards for hire thing that was going on. You sure you want to 
say it's the end? You positive, I mean? I don't think they're going to be working for Sid anymore. I think that's a wrap. Because Sid's leverage is gone now that they've been found and they're on the run? One. And two, it seems like based on what they just learned, Hunter has finally moved to that place where, hey, we're bigger than just the glorified salvage team. We have a duty, kind of the duty that called Echo away a few episodes ago. Now I think that war has finally arrived at their doorstep. We got to do something about this, whatever this was. We move on to Mandalorian season three, episode one, The Apostate. And we open with the armorer crafting a helmet for what I like to call a Mandalorian baptism. Yeah. They're standing there in the waters of Lake Guinnessy or whatever the hell. So I got to ask, did you think that this was a flashback? Absolutely. I thought this little foundling was young Din Djarin. Yes. All the way up until the point where film noir, Mando shows up in his Naboo N1 Starfighter. Had to be intentional. And this is Jimmy Kimmel's nephew, as Ragnar the Foundling, not Din Djarin. I did think it was odd. The armor, I was like, okay. But then when I saw Paz Vizsla, I was like, well, hold on now. Right. How old is this guy? Exactly. How old are they? We don't know because they have armor on. So theoretically, they could still be adults in this flashback. We think Din is in his 40s, right? 30s or 40s, somewhere around there. So it would have had to have been a long time ago flashback. But the main reason I thought this is because there's so many Mandalorians. Yes. More than we've ever seen before. So it seemed, because we know how thin the numbers are, that this was a flashback. But no, it's present day. So were you surprised that this many Mandalorians are still out there? Yes, but then it's explained kind of later in the episode, right? That Bo-Katan had assembled many of these Mandalorians, but then when she didn't have the Darksaber, everybody kind of split up again. So it made a little sense. As I said, they're doing the Mandalorian baptism. Alligator monster comes out of the water. Paz Vizsla says... Tell the younglings to get out of the way. I did enjoy it trying to do the real crocodile move where when they try to hook it with grappling hooks, it starts rolling. Mm -hmm. And that's something that real crocodiles do. They will take their prey and then they will roll them underwater to drown them slash snap their necks. Also hitting with the tail. That's another crocodile move. Yeah, this giant creature also has a turtle shell thing on its back. Some sort of hardened backplate, and they are getting wrecked by this thing. Yeah. It is not going well. They try to stick some explosives on it and detonate. That's not bothering it. It's messing up Mando's left and right. And then Din shows up in his Naboo N1 Starfighter and blasts it and saves the day because he's just so cool. Comes out and... The armorer hits us with, Maze, I'm very proud to use this for the first time. <laughs> Some tactical redundancy. Cinnabon uh... listeners will get in about three weeks. Yep. Tactical redundancy, letting us know that he's no longer a Mandalorian since you removed your helmet. Of course, no thank you for saving all of our lives from this giant creature. Yeah. Put that in the past already. Here's the weird part. He then has to perform some tactical redundancy. By explaining back to her, wait a sec, what if I bathe myself in the waters of Lake Minnetonka? Yes, absolutely. Same note, too. She does the thing that he said to her in season one of Book of Boba Fett, where she tells him, but it's poisoned and it's cursed. I was completely confused. Why have they switched roles here, in essence? Because they're talking to us, and because it's been 
two years since we had an episode of The Mandalorian, not two years of Showtime like everyone got butt cracked on the internet thinking that Jon Favreau said that it had been two years since Grogu had been training with Luke. No, it's been two years since we had an episode of The Mandalorian. We need a refresher. We have to clearly establish what he's trying to do this season. Well, here's the crazy thing is, as it was pointed out to me in the recap that they do at the beginning of the episode. They don't mention anything from Book of Boba Fett. They don't mention that Grogu got back with him. Well, because it's previously on The Mandalorian. I know, but it's weird that they would just kind of ignore all that. It's pretty important exposition. I guess it's possible that there is somebody out there who's picking this episode up, never watched Book of Boba Fett, and is wondering what the hell's going on. But it's true because if you think about how many people were not Star Wars fans, watched for whatever reason The Mandalorian, made Disney Plus the fastest growing streaming app ever in terms of the first week of addition of subscribers. There are people who love this show, but, oh, there's a Boba Fett show. Like, who the hell is Boba Fett? And skipped over it. So, I don't know. Either way, Mando shows her a relic from Mandalore that he got from some Jawas, Mm -hmm. and it's got some writing on it, and he says the Jawas got it from someone who got it from the surface of Mandalore. He's going to say this is proof Mandalore isn't poisoned. It's not cursed. I can go back. Here's a weird Easter egg for you. Do you know what the inscription on there is? I do not. It's from Exodus 10, 5, 6 in the Bible. Verbatim? Referring to the Jewish enslavement by the Egyptians. Verbatim. Oh, yes. And this is something that I have thought about a while. Are the Mandalorians basically Jewish people? Mm. Scattered. They don't have their own homeland was destroyed and stuff. They're all over the, the galaxy. I'm like, this is a, this is a lot of... There was a purge, like which basically like a holocaust. It's giving. Ooh. It's giving. It's giving. The playoffs have started in basketball and hockey, and there's really only one way that I can enjoy it. For me, drinking Miller Lite while the action is going on makes the game that much more exciting and that much more delicious. A lot has changed over the years, but one thing that hasn't, the great taste of Miller Lite. Another thing that hasn't changed is that it's less filling. So what is the best thing about the original light beer? Miller Lite sparked this debate in 1975, and we still haven't settled it. So what do you look for in a light beer? Great taste or less filling? For me, it's great taste and less filling. Miller Lite keeps it simple. Undebatable quality, great taste, and only 96 calories. It's the beer that strips away everything you don't need and holds on to what matters most. A light beer that tastes like beer. You don't have to choose what's best. Miller Lite has great taste and is less filling. Tastes like Miller time. To get Miller Lite delivered right at your door, visit MillerLite.com slash crate, C-R-A-T-E. Or you can find it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories per 12 ounces. Fewer calories and carbs than premium regular beer. We're going to Navarro. And Navarro is all nice and new now, Maze. Well, hold on. In the hyperspace tunnel. Oh, yes. We see Baby Yoda look over and uh-huh. there's some shadowy, extremely large shapes in the hyperspace tunnel. And those are Pergil. I mean, what's a Pergil? A Pergil. I thought it was Pergil, whatever. Pergil Simpson. Yeah, there you go. The Pergil, Pergil, don't know now in my head about it, are these whale-like creatures that travel in hyperspace. And that's, in fact, how the first hyperspace travelers in Star Wars discovered the concept of hyperspace, was observing these animals that float around in space and 
jump in and out of hyperspace. Now, they were introduced, at least to me, I don't know if the concept was introduced earlier, but to me, in Star Wars Rebels. That is the debut indeed. Rebels basically ends with Grand Admiral Thrawn and Ezra Bridger fighting, and Ezra, through his connection to the Force, you know, every Jedi has like a specialty with their Force skills. If you played Jedi Fallen Order, you know that, for instance, Cal Kestis's specialty is... Force echoes, meaning he can touch objects and hear interactions that those objects have had in the past with other people. Ezra, as well as who was someone else? Oh, and Grogu. And Anakin. Anakin could talk to animals. Well, Anakin could do everything, right? Like, he's a chosen one. He's a chosen one. But yes, talking to animals is a big one. It's the Dr. Doolittle power of the Force. And so Ezra, that was his specialty. He was able to commune with one of these Purgil and take himself and Thrawn hyperspace to never be seen or heard from again until dum 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 maze we know that the new star wars show ahsoka ezra's been cast so we know that we will see them in live action thrawn is the one that we're waiting on but he's out there too because we know from season two of the mandalorian where she shakes down somebody and says where is thrawn no but i mean we're waiting on thrawn's casting Yes, on casting, but that's literally where Star Wars Rebels left off, where Sabine Wren comes out and she sees Ahsoka, and they're like, all right, let's go find them and save them, which is a very convenient Star Wars mechanism to explain why we had this whole galactic civil war and destroying the Death Star and destroying another Death Star and all that shit, and we never saw Jedi Ezra Bridger anytime because he's been in some sort of purgatory. Purgulatory. We get to Navarro, and there's a PA greeting and everything because now Navarro is civilized. It's like Orlando, Florida, after they bid Disney World. Yeah, I thought of it as in the game Civilization oh. when you get to the Bronze Age or something like that. Dun, dun. And all the cobblestone streets and yep. <laughs> all kinds of glow-ups here. Everything gets a little bit nicer. The PA announcement calls it the gem of the outer rim. I really enjoyed that. The Kowakian monkey lizards that in season one, we saw they were being caged and cooked. Now they're chilling, free to roam and stare at you from the trees. Tourism droids telling you all about the fun stuff to do in Navarro. They got musicians in the street. Everyone's so peaceful. Everyone's so creative. And at the center of the town square maze, we have a statue of IG-11 looking very triumphant for the sacrifice it committed to save everybody. This reminded me of the Wizard of Oz statues in Chicago, especially the Tin Man. That's what IG-11 looked like here. And did you notice that his base is Stormtrooper helmets? I did not notice that. It's probably a rock carved to look like Stormtrooper helmets or it's fossilized Stormtrooper helmets, one of the two. We've seen Stormtrooper helmets used as quote-unquote decoration before yes. in The Mandalorian when they went to Mos Espa and we had helmets or maybe heads on spikes. Every once in a while, Star Wars does something really dark and you're like, Jesus. Mm -hmm. As he's staring up at the statue, we see our old friend, High Magistrate Grief Karga. Man! And he's completely ass off. I mean, no ass within 
a mile of this scene. His facial hair is looking great. His skincare routine is popping. His clothes, his gear, and mace. He's got the droids carrying his cape. Droids carrying the train of his cape. That's all they do. That's it. Balling. They just roll behind him. He is balling out of control. Hi, Magistrate Karga to you. He corrects our friend Din Djarin. You work hard to acquire that title, so you want people to get it right. Well, it's funny because in season one, when they're being sieged by Giancarlo Esposito's character, Moff Gideon, he calls him disgraced magistrate, Grief Karga, right? Mm Mm-hmm. We don't know what he did. And then he became obviously the leader of the Bounty Hunter Guild. But now he's back to being a magistrate. And he, no, just like Navarro, he's glowing up too. He's high magistrate. Declares they are the official trade spur of the Hydean Way. Hydean Way is one of the hyperspace lanes. The best way to describe hyperspace is the interstate, mm-hmm. right? It's a freeway. And so much like you can go super fast on the freeway from, you know, one city to another, one part of the state to another, one part of town to another. But it's a very specific way. It's not like you can just go fast everywhere. It's on the interstate. It's the same thing with these hyperspace lanes. And the nerds have assembled to let us know that Navarro is actually far away from the Hydean Way. Oh, for real? Yep. Cargo goes on. He just keeps sucking his own dick, telling us about how awesome Navarro is and how much money everybody's making. He's really trying to get in to move in. I got a nice parcel of land for you, you and the kid. Live off the fat of the land. Become landed gentry instead of an apostate. But Din's not with it. Meanwhile, a bunch of pirates show up to what used to be the saloon, but is now the school, and they're giving this protocol droid some problems. They just want a drink. This guy is such a prick. The Nikto? Because grief is offering you a drink. Go to his office. No, man. He's the high magistrate. Why do you want to go drinking at this school? Why are you insisting on this? Because they started the saloon with Gorian Shard's winnings or whatever. So basically, this is like their shit, man. This is their cheers. And now it's a school? Get the hell out of here. I get it. I understand what's going on here. The guy's name is Vane. You know why this pirate is named Vane, Maze? He probably thinks this song is about him. Close. Named after the pirate Charles Vane. If you ever watched the TV show Black Sails, Maze, on Stars? Ah, yes. I remember that show. Charles Vane was one of the pirates on the show. Vane is a Nikto. If you remember Book of Boba Fett, I'm glad that you called this guy a real asshole, Maze, because in Book of Boba Fett, the Nikto writers were a bunch of assholes. Yeah, I think I figured it out. So this school used to be Trefani's. And these pirates, (laughs) they came in. Every Friday night, sloppy steaks, slick back hair, and now Trefani's and Ciccolini's are both closed. They don't know what to do. Chicken spaghetti at Ciccolini's is my move, but Trefani's works too with the sloppy steaks. And yeah, they're like, hey man, this is what we came for. And the Pirates, by the way, it's a very diverse. Yeah, we got a Weequay, we got a Quarren, we got a Clatoonian, we got a Trandoshan. Ah, man, I don't know. I saw the Weequay and I was like, are we going to get my guy? One of my favorite Star Wars characters, Hondo Onaka, but no, no Hondo, alas. It seems that Hondo Onaka has been replaced by Gorian Shard as the Pirate King. I also took offense to that. I was like, we'll see what Hondo has to say about all that. Basically, he tells him, hey, man, I'm still about this life. You don't want these hands. Vane thinks he's gone soft. They have a little shootout at the OK Corral. 
Grief Karga shoots him on his hand. Then the other four guys try to act funny, and Din and Karga make quick work of them. But they let my man Vane go so he could tell the Pirate King, we don't do that shit around here no more. Karga uses this opportunity to try to convince Mando to become the marshal. And this maze is the most Mm heavy-handed exposition in the history of at least Star Wars TV, maybe of entire Star Wars. Yes. What happened to Marshall Dune? Oh. After she took in Moff Gideon, she got promoted and got recruited for Special Forces again, and she's gone, and she's never coming back. Maze, what would you have rather had? You could have either, A, had this, this convenient writing out in this way. B, they could have recast Cara Dune. Hmm. C, the exposition write-out was that she's dead. I think I'll go with what they did. Yeah? I much prefer this to their dead, no explanation. Because if Cara Dune was dead, I feel like that would have to be more involved in the plot. This is convenient. Mm. The idea that there's a New Republic Special Forces out there, which is what the spinoff essentially was supposed to be, right? Yes. So I like the idea of there being that spinoff. We just don't see it. What would you have preferred? I think a recast. I'm not saying they should have saved that show because even at the time, even before we found out she's an awful person and, <laughs> and she lost her job, it just felt like there wasn't enough there for me to want Rangers of the Republic or some shit like that. Yeah. I thought that was just overkill. It was just kind of like, hey, man, you're cool. You're going to get a show, too. You get a show. You get a show. Yeah. In essence, maybe we just have her dead and not anything deeper other than like, the pirates, man. It's kind of crazy out here. And then again, maybe that contradicts the idea that he's got it under control. Yeah, Navarro's clean and everything, right? So also more exposition that Moff Gideon has an upcoming New Republic War Tribunal. Yes, he's going to Nuremberg, mm-hmm. <laughs> which, by the way, Mando scoffs at because he's not a big fan of the New Republic. Neither is Grief Karga, who wants to stay independent, probably for financial reasons i would imagine sure man also he says he doesn't want to take orders from anybody anymore this is the wild west right this is the land of people who did not want to live under the thumb of the federal government makes sense that in the outer rim they don't want to be part of a new republic they didn't want to be part of the empire either mando needs ig-11 he has to go back to mandalore and he wants the only droid he trusts right you remember in the beginning of the show season one he didn't like droids until IG-11 was reprogrammed and saved everybody's life and cared for the child. So Mando's like, okay, I can get with this particular droid. Sure, totally understand that. And then with what happens, it it makes this explanation a little less credible. So tries to fix him. IG-11 comes back online, just his upper body, and he turns back into the killer that's programmed to hunt down Grogu and starts attacking them. Terminate asset. Terminate asset. Shout out to Taika Waititi, who returns as the voice of IG-11. All the blaster bolts bounce off him until Grief Karga's droid topples a statue on top of his head, crushing it. A statue? A statue of Grief Karga. Oh, I missed that. High magistrate, man. High magistrate. High magistrate. Busts. I do enjoy the idea of him correcting everyone every time they call him magistrate, including his droid. High magistrate. And then Mando (laughs) drops 
A one-liner of the episode. No. That's using your head. Yeah, we didn't need that. So now we've got a fixed IG-11 up. Luckily, we've got the best droid smiths in the oh, galaxy. This motherfucking grief cargo. If you don't stop selling Navarro, man, I get it. It's awesome. It's a great place. Shut up, man. But yes, I thought he was going to have some Ugnaughts. Oh, like Nick Nolte's character? Yeah, like Nick Nolte. But no, we get the Anzellans. The Anzellans maze that we saw in Rise of Skywalker. Again, we're trying to fix everything and try to see it's normal. Of course, they've always been around. Yes, Babu Frick's cousins or whoever these guys are. They're out here and they don't speak basic and they don't speak cutties they speak very broken basic is it the broken the broken the broken and then we get this whole thing where grief karga starts translating everything ridiculous scene he's crouching down to look in this window <laughs> and he's just saying exactly what they said and eventually mando says i got it grief <laughs> new memory circuit he says he needs a new memory circuit very effective and of course Grogu, who we haven't talked too much about, he uses the force to get some M&Ms in Grief's office. He also uses the force to spin himself in the chair. He's having a great time. It's take your kid to work day. And then because we finally have a creature that's smaller than Grogu, he thinks it's a toy. He's trying to pick up this Anzellan, and the Anzellan says, bad baby, bad baby. No squeezy, no squeeze. There you go. There's your Grogu cute moment of the episode. They say, okay, we'll get you the memory circuit. They leave. Of course, Vane and Gorian Shard's men are just hanging out, waiting for them. They get a little chase. Anyone got eyes on the Mandalorian? And the Trandoshan says, not yet. <laughs> I love how Trandoshans talk. I don't know why. This is classic. Love an asteroid dogfight. This is Boba Fett with his dad, right? Yes, Boba Fett with his dad in Attack of the Clones. Obviously, Han Solo takes the Millennium Falcon into an asteroid field. I'm always a fan of this. And... I really like this Naboo Starfighter. I know we talked about this last time we did this show, but I like the look of it, the maneuverability. It's a good upgrade for Din here. And we come face to face with Captain Shard. Always makes me think of Shart. Mm. And he looks like a Shart. Yeah, he's straight out of Pirates of the Caribbean. He's got seaweed all over his face. We don't know what type of alien he is. And he's voiced by Nanso Anozi, who has a very distinct voice and you might remember him from the sandman he's sam's dad in ted lasso he tells mando hey man if you give up your ship we'll let you live and mando says to grogu never trust a pirate and then he just blasts off into hyperspace and i'm like isn't that every conflict in Star Wars? Every single time. Hey, they're about to kill me. All right, I'm just peace out. Unless it's a ship that has a tractor beam. Or unless you happen to be jumping into hyperspace as Lord Vader and his fleet are coming out of hyperspace. Uh, in which case, you crash into them, and that's pretty bad, too. So this essentially gave us a submission of going to look for a memory circuit and gave us a sub-boss antagonist here in Gorian Shard. We end up going to Kalevala. This is a planet in the Mandalorian system. And he says, this is a Mandalorian castle. And we get out and we walk into the castle. At the end of this long-ass hallway is Bo-Katan chilling on a throne. Much like Maul was chilling on the throne in Mandalore when he ruled Mandalore off of the old Okie doke Bo-Katan explains 
why everything failed was basically she didn't have the dark saber. She tells Mando, hey, you want to get on Mandalore? Just wave that, wave your dick around. Everyone's going to hop on it because mm-hmm. he still has the dark saber. And then she blames the children of the watch yep. for fracturing Mandalorians. The children of the watch is the cult that Mando subscribes to that don't believe in taking off your helmet and all that shit. They are descended from Death Watch, which was the group of Mandalorians led by Pre Vizsla, who basically said, you know, fuck all this pacifist shit. We were real out here. By the way, Kalavala is the planet Bo-Katan is from, but also where her sister ruled, the Duchess Satine. That was uh, Obi-Wan's little side piece. Obi-Wan doing all that shit. You can't love people and all that shit for Anakin. Meanwhile, he had some action going on on the side. Don't let these Jedi, these hypocritical Jedi, have you believing that feelings is wrong and shit. You have feelings every day. (laughs) Feelings. The funniest thing about her blaming Children of the Watch who are descended from previous Death Watch is she was a member of Death Watch. Mm -hmm. Speaking of hypocrisy. Yep. Mando says, look, I really need to bathe myself in the waters of Lake Minnetonka. And so she says the mines are under the city of Sundari. There you go. So do you expect Bo-Katan to try to take the Darksaber from Din soon? Is that her move? Wouldn't she do it already? Wouldn't she try him immediately? Right. I guess. It's not like, like an element of surprise. That's the rules. Them to be the rules. You got to challenge these people to a duel. Okay, so then why hasn't she? Because this is all that she really cares about. She is very bored in her castle here. Hence the leisurely seat in the throne. So what's she waiting for? She seems to have given up. There's definitely an element of resignation there. She basically says, you do it. You're so hot to trot. And then she does the thing that everybody knows a hater does, right? When you really wanted something and then you didn't get it, what do you do? You start shitting on it. Ah, it's all poison anyway. Yeah. And Mando correctly points out, whoa, you said there was no such thing as a curse. Now you're saying it's poison. Impossible. <laughs> There's no such thing. Mando's got his season-long arc now. Got to get a memory circuit for the droid so that he can go take it, go back to Mandalore, go bathe himself in the waters of Lake Minnetonka. Meanwhile, also, these pirates hate him, and they're trying to get his ass. And let's not think too hard about how if he puts a new memory circuit in IG-11, then it's not the same droid that he trusts anymore. It's going to be a completely blank slate droid. Right. So why does he need this droid? Because it's what the writing has chosen. That's why. Also, though, it's not just that. Remember, this is a guy who has little to no expertise or experience with droids. He is droid ignorant. He's probably thinking, oh, all right, they'll just reprogram it and it'll be fine. It kind of highlights how dumb he is. It's like, like Grief Cargo said, there's plenty of droids. I have one in my room right now. Bang, yeah. bang, done, right? No, no, no. I need the droid with the freaking laser beam on its head. This one's my friend. It makes sense. It's not just convenient writing. It's also, it makes sense for his character to be ignorant, for lack of a better term. All right, I mean, last question for you. Entering this post-Andor world, I've seen a lot of people out there whining about how Mando is several steps down in terms of quality or complexity. So I want to take your pulse on how you feel about this episode this season going forward. 
your general enthusiasm level? My enthusiasm is high because I understand what Andor was has to be the zag to everything else's zig, right? Star Wars, in essence, George Lucas has talked about this. Star Wars is for 12-year-olds. That's why you have people my generation older, like the original trilogy, that's where it's at. And then people your age, Maze, are like, no, the prequels are the best part. That's why I like the Naboo Starfighter, despite myself. Right, because this was 12-year-old Maze experiencing Star Wars, where I was experiencing a different Star Wars when I was 12. And so the Mandalorian probably is closer to that in execution. And as a result, massive audience. This is Disney Plus's crown jewel of all the shit they have. This is it. This is the thing that brought everybody in. This is the thing that keeps everybody here. They're selling merch, toys, everything. Andor is sophisticated and nuanced and complex, void of mysticism and grounded in reality. And as a result, it's not as appealing to a mass audience. It's appealing to me and you as nerds who really enjoy the nitty-gritty of Star Wars because even the stuff that was made for 12-year-olds has beneath it an undercurrent of really complex issues. The day I started appreciating the prequels is the day Max Kellerman told me, this is all about the politics of the Senate and the hubris of the Jedi Council, of the Jedi. They did not see it coming. They got played like a fiddle, and Palpatine beat them Not really by using, I mean, sure, he used the force in some aspects, but most of it was just political maneuvering. He created a conflict, commissioned the army to fight on behalf of the Jedi side of the conflict. All the while, he knew he was going to flip a switch and have them all kill the Jedi when they least expected it. It was brilliant. It's a brilliant story. It's brilliant writing in terms of plot, in terms of dialogue. Terrible, right? Terrible, terrible dialogue written, terrible execution. But makes it real easy for a 12-year-old to absorb and fall in love with. This is the same thing here, man. I like Mandalorian. It's fun. It's lighthearted. It's easy entry for everybody. Underneath it, there is a current of a little bit more complexity as it's drawing in and tying in to a larger Star Wars story. And again, I believe with the Pergil, this is all going to tie in somehow to how we get to the final sequel trilogy. So I'm all right with it. It's not Andor, but it's done right. It's done well. It's done with the appropriate amount of reverence. Obi-Wan, get the hell out of my face. (laughs) That was trash. One of these days, one day, we're going to have an episode of Rula 2 where you don't just drive by (laughs) Obi-Wan when it hasn't come up at all. But I'm with you. I enjoy the show a lot. I like the vibes. I like the score, the soundtrack, the opening theme gets me going every single time. I love his armor. I love baby Yoda. I love Grogu. I'm here for it. And I'm glad that there's room for both. I think one of the things that we talked about a lot in Andor was you could watch it if you don't watch Star Wars. It goes beyond Star Wars to give you other types of content, a spy thriller, all that stuff. Whereas this is mainlining Star Wars. This is... The sights, the look, the feel, the color, the texture, texture, the the consistency, consistency. it's definitely Star Wars. It's definitely Star Wars. Star Wars-like. It's funny, Maze, because again, this has been the biggest gateway content for Disney, for people who weren't Star Wars fans. This is the one. It does a tremendous job of walking both sides of the line, of being incredibly accessible to people who were not familiar with Star Wars, 
while also I don't want to call it fan service because that makes it seem just like wouldn't it be cool if like so and so shit that they're not doing that. It is fan service, but it's very carefully considered. Yes, Favreau and Filoni are way better at having their finger on the pulse of what fits into fan service, but also fits into the universe, fits into the canon, the canonical stream. Yes. They do it better. It's it's as simple as that. They do it way better. It starts with these are people who care about it as fans, right? Like Favreau is a fan of Star Wars. I told the story before on Rule of Two when Dave Filoni was finalizing, was editing the original Clone Wars movie, which is like the first three episodes of the Clone Wars TV series. In the next editing bay over at Skywalker Ranch was John Favreau, who was putting the finishing touches on the first Iron Man movie. And they both got to be like one of the first people to watch the other's work way before it was a wide release. You're talking about people here who give a shit about this, who aren't doing it because it's a nice check or it's nice for the resume or whatever, but truly give a damn about the story and getting the story right. To answer your question again, long way short, I like Mandalorian, man. It's a fun show and it's done well. There you have it. That's going to do it for us here on Rule of Two. Remember, tune in next week. We're going to do another double dip. One into Bad Batch and one into Mando Season 3, Episode 2. Till next time, it must be frustrating to have your resources but lack the expertise to achieve your goals. I feel like that's my life. Playoffs have started in basketball and hockey, and there's really only one way that I can enjoy it. For me, drinking Miller Lite while the action is going on makes the game that much more exciting and that much more delicious. A lot has changed over the years, but one thing that hasn't, the great taste of Miller Lite. Another thing that hasn't changed is that it's less filling. So what is the best thing about the original light beer? Miller Lite sparked this debate in 1975, and we still haven't settled it. So what do you look for in a light beer? Great taste or less filling? For me, it's great taste and less filling. Miller Lite keeps it simple. Undebatable quality, great taste, and only 96 calories. It's the beer that strips away everything you don't need and holds on to what matters most. A light beer that tastes like beer. You don't have to choose what's best. Miller Lite has great taste and is less filling. Tastes like Miller time. To get Miller Lite delivered right at your door, visit MillerLite.com crate, C-R-A-T-E. Or you can find it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories per 12 ounces. Fewer calories and carbs than premium regular beer.